So you build remote first best practices into the DNA of the company where possible. You, got, you create an environment where the remote employees feel as if they are part of the team, the same as the people in the office. And then ideally, where possible, the leadership should not work in the office. This is the Rebel HR Podcast. If you're a professional looking for innovative, thought-provoking information in the world of human resources, this is the right podcast for you. All right, Rebel HR listeners, I'm extremely excited today to introduce you to our guest, Bretton Putter, uh, or uh, Brett, do you go by Brett? Yeah, Brett. Uh, Br- most people call me Brett. The last person to call me Bretton was my mother, probably when I was 13 and I'd done something wrong, <laughs> and she did it through right. gritted teeth. So uh, well, Brett's, Brett's good. Well, we'll keep your mother happy and call you, <laughs> you Brett Putter to begin with, but I'm going to call you Brett from here on out, if that's all right. <laughs> So, uh, Brett is an author and the CEO of Culture Gene, an organization out of the UK. Uh, Brett is a leading expert on startup and high-growth company culture. He's the founder and CEO of Culture Gene, a culture development platform helping companies transition effectively to remote work. I think your timing is impeccable, Brett. Thank you. Uh, he, uh, he has some publications, uh, Culture Dex Decoded, Transform Your Culture into a Visible, Conscious, and Tangible Asset, and we'll be publishing The Culture Driven Leader in 2020. Uh, so excited to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Carl. Good to be on. Really looking forward to having a chat with you. Yeah, look at, looking forward to it. So I, I love the topic. It's very timely. Uh, and uh, something that, uh, whether we like it or not, a lot of HR people have been forced to try to deal with here uh, in 2020. So yeah. uh, why don't we start off? Why don't you just tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and your organization? Sure. So um, I initially um, ran an executive search firm for 16 years. And then four years ago, I set up Culture Gene, um, really to help companies define, embed, and manage their culture. And I've developed a a process for that. Um, I've got a piece of software that I've developed, Um, also quite uh, timely and and fortunate. I I started developing it about 18 months ago, and really it it mimics my my process, but online. Um, I was approached by two remote work companies about 18 months ago, and I realized that my in-person process wasn't going to work so I thought there could be an opportunity here and so that's where we got to to culture gene and the software I use very very timely um, and uh, sage thought that there's an opportunity here to help so so what has you know in, in your world I gotta believe that the demand for your product uh, has exceeded uh, maybe your initial assumptions so how has 2020 been in your world? So 2020 has been interesting. Um, I've I've had a, I've had demand on the one hand fall off a cliff uh, because a lot of the work I do is with uh, high growth, early relatively early stage high growth companies. Most of them are VC backed, and so when COVID hit, the VC said, "Well, don't you spend another dime." Um, and, and but on the other side, um, there have been companies that have you know it's been COVID has been kind to them. And they've just taken off like a rocket ship. So on that side, it's picked up again tremendously. So we went through a little bit of a dip. 
um, and now it's, it's it's really taken off again. So um, yeah, we're busy. Um, I'm I personally um, really focus down on understanding the CEO and the board of the company because I that's I work with the the the, the C level um, first to embed it into the the management and then embed it into the company. So. Ultimately, it's whether I think uh, the CEO and I will get on, uh, and we'll we have an understanding whether I work with the company or not. So that's basically how how we approach it. Interesting. So I'm I'm curious to understand a little bit more about that because, you know, I I think there's a lot of talk around, um, you know, moving into a virtual world and making work work remote, but. I think it's so different for every organization. So as you're helping these organizations figure out their their strategies, how do you how, where do you start in determining um, you know what the appropriate process to make a digital conversion might look like? So the 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 reality is uh, that remote companies do work radically different, and the second reality is that whether whether the the vaccine works and whether the virus goes away or not the cat's out of the bag and we will have either remote or hybrid work for the most part and hybrid equals remote really because you will always have some people working remotely and what leaders don't realize is in this sort of hybrid world it's actually harder to lead a, a hybrid business because when we're remote, we're all experiencing the culture, the company culture in the same way. When we're hybrid, there's the, you can can develop into an us and them where there's us in the office and them out there, and that's a very dangerous place to be. So that's the first thing is leaders have to realize that first of all that we aren't going back. Secondly, moving forward, you have to adapt your business. And I, um, I because I was building the software for remote companies fundamentally, I. Uh, decided over the last year to really understand what it is that remote companies do differently and how they operate differently to co-located or office-based environments. And my research demonstrates that there are nine best practices that remote companies do over and above what we in an office-based environment would typically do. And so I start talking about those nine best practices and evaluating the nine best practices under the umbrella of what is your company culture like and how do we need to adapt it? Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that you, you mentioned that really resonated with me, and that's that's the situation that my organization is in right now, and that's the danger of hybrid work and the division of the essential workforce that can't work from home and the, I don't know if non-essential is the right word, but the work the, the workforce that can work from home uh, just because of the nature yeah. flexible yeah i like that's a better term i'll use that one <laughs> but the the flexible uh, workforce that can work from home uh and that's one of the things that that my organization is struggling with right now is trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube so to speak on some of the people who have enjoyed the flexibility uh and the individuals who don't have the ability uh, to enjoy the flexibility and the the potential cultural uh, division that might occur there. So, what what strategies have you seen work, or or how do we even approach that problem? So, I don't think the toothpaste is ever going back. Um, <laughs> some of it might, but you're going to lose some um, if you try and force it back in. 
Uh, and it really does depend on when you're talking about um, non-flexible or essential workers, you know, in some cases, people have to be in a, in a location and they have to serve customers or they have to do what they need to do in that location. And then you've got other people who can be more, way more flexible. And what what we do in that situation is we is we understand what the division is. If the division is 95% non-flexible, 5% flexible, then it's, it's a little bit more hard to implement what I'm going to propose. But essentially, if you've got... Um, a remote work environment that is that is sort of 50-50 hybrid or 50-50, 60-40 more towards people who can be flexible. Then you, what you've got to do is you've got to build a culture that is as, as much as possible remote first. And mm. r- remote first really means that you are you are de- you're designing the the um, remote working where possible is the default way of working. So, for example, if if there is a um, a group meeting where you've got four people who are dialing in uh, via Zoom or Teams, and you've got four people in the office that are on this meeting, the four people in the office do not go into the boardroom. The four people in the office log on on t- via Teams because that that means we're all equal. We're experiencing this meeting in the same way. So you build remote first best practices into the DNA of the company where possible. You, co- you create an environment where the remote employees feel as if they are part of the team, the same as the people in the office. And then the, the, the ideally, where possible, the leadership should not work in the office. Because if the leadership are in the office, people congregate around the leaders and then that's where the power is and then that's where you get the second-class citizen status that you always want to avoid in these situations. Mm. Fascinating. That that goes counterintuitive to to what I think many of our inclinations would be. Um, so I'm curious, is, is that also part of the reason why you focus on your relationship and that CEO perspective on, on this type of work? I focus. I focus on the CEO because actually, if you if the C, so, I've had the situation where the COO was bought in fully. The CEO was bought in somewhat, mm-hmm. but as soon as I've had to, as soon as I asked the CEO to do certain things that that they, they either didn't want to do or felt this wasn't right for them, never mind the business, then they then they kick back on it. So I I I change some of the way the CEOs work when I when I when I do this process. So I change the way they communicate. I change the way they reward and recognize. I change to a degree what they measure and what they pay attention to. I change the hiring process. And they have to be at the top of the tree for it to cascade down. So if the CEO is not rewarding and recognizing what I'm telling the leadership team to reward and recognize, then there is a disconnect and there is a disruption in the culture because everybody follows, will ultimately follow the CEO because the CEO is the final decision maker for this. So I, I, I work with the CEO deliberately because we then, we, 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 we give that, that leader a framework for her to pass down onto her team because she is operating that way. And the framework is based on how you embed culture into an organization. It's not based on some smoke and mirrors, there are only six ways to embed culture, and we design that into the functions and processes of the business. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm I'm fascinated to learn more about how how do you approach the the concern about a leader feeling like they're maybe disconnected from their from their employees if they're not sitting in an office next door to somebody that they might have a question for or not you know don't don't even have they don't even have an open door policy because they don't have a door <laughs> how do you how do you work through those kind of those concerns and, and what strategies do you employ to make sure they can stay connected yeah so what what we do is we look at these nine best practices that remote companies do differently so they remote companies are very deliberate about the culture of their company and they 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 deliberate about the culture of their company and they focus on these best practices because they didn't have an office to begin with. So I call the office-based leaders somewhat somewhat disrespectfully, I call them lazy. <laughs> because essentially we relied on our offices to design or maintain our culture. We relied on the water cooler moments. We relied on proximity. We relied on visibility. We relied on body language. We relied on availability. We relied on presence. We relied on the water cooler moments. We relied on informal communication. We relied on information dissemination. And all of those elements are now lost to us. We took them for granted. And we could be lazy about our culture because it kind of happened through osmosis. Osmosis is lost to us now. So, yep. so the companies that were remote for a long time or remote from the very beginning, companies like GitLab or Hotjar or Zapier or Buffer or Basecamp, those companies were deliberate about culture because they had to be. They couldn't be lazy about it. They were deliberate about social connection because if you aren't deliberate about social connection, the glue weakens. They delivered about how to communicate and using more asynchronous communication than synchronous communication so you don't burn your team out. They delivered about processizing their business because if you don't, the process is in somebody's head and you can't get it out of their head without doing a Zoom call, which burns you out. They would deliver about documentation because if you don't document it, it's in somebody's head. They were deliberate about developing trust through transparency because if you don't trust somebody and you can't see them next to you all the time, how do you work with them effectively? They focused on results-based leadership and outcomes-based leadership because it's impossible or very difficult to micromanage in a remote environment. They focused on tr- making their recruitment and onboarding processes highly customized to overcome the loss of in-person gut instinct. And last but not least, they focused on well-being because well-being is morale, mental health, and burnout, which is a really, really big stressor because of loneliness, which is a result of working from home. Mm -hmm. So those are the nine things that they focus on. And those are the nine things that I look at the company and I say, how are we doing here? You as the leader, what are you doing about your values? How often are you talking about them? Because your values are the DNA. They're the foundations of your business. And your people need this stability. They need to hear about you talking about the culture, about the mission and the vision and where we're going and how we're going to get there and how you expect us to behave through our culture. And so it's a, it's, this is a, a, a very broad process that I run with the company. And we first of all understand strengths and weaknesses against these. And then we start to combat those. 
And from a from a leadership position, you know, remote companies do one to ones very regularly. So so a leader should be doing, you know, you wouldn't have been doing one to ones in most companies in a located environment, but now you should be doing one to ones once a week. So you know how people are. So you mm-hmm. know how people are feeling. Um, so it's this isn't an easy transition. This is a you know, and actually what most what happens with most companies and leaders I talk to is they go, dude, I'm already flat out. I don't know which which way is up. And you're telling me I've got to go through this whole transformation. And I'm saying, well, if you don't, your culture is degrading as we speak. Every single day you rely on your office based culture in a non office based environment degrades that culture. And what's going to happen is the smart companies are going to take ownership of hybrid work or remote work, remote first work, and they're going to own it and they're going to they're going to position themselves for it. And what would I do if I feel like a second class citizen in your company or should I feel like a first class citizen in that company that's making a real effort to make me happy and build the right culture for me? What am I going to do? I love working in your office, but I'm certainly not going to work in in, in my home in your bad culture. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think if if history has taught us anything, the companies with the best culture and team win. Win all the time. Yeah, (laughs) well, there are some cases that I've seen where great cultures, um, you know, strong functional cultures don't win, but that's really a fundamental element of the product or something. But if you've got a really great product and you've got a strong functional culture, you've got you know an above average chance of winning. And if you look at all of the big players, you know the Facebook, Amazon, you know Netflix, Google, Microsoft, you know Microsoft turned around on a dime with such a Nadella on board with his cult, with with the culture work he's done, and they all focus on it because they understand how important it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. And, and, you know, I think a call to action for for all of us in a in a people leadership role or an HR role. Uh, and I love the term that you use lazy. Don't get lazy. <laughs> if, if you do, somebody else is going to pass you by and get the right talent in their team. And and, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of that uh, going around right now. Um, you yeah, know, I, I I would actually say, put it a slightly different way. I'd say go and get fit because you were lazy. <laughs> there you go. That's better. That's more positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hit the gym. Put the donuts down <laughs> and go uh, go, uh, go. start being intentional about these things. Exactly. But, but the, I think it's so... company culture gym. I like that. I'm going to use that. I love it. Uh, it's so true, though. I, I And I just, I'm reflecting on my own personal experience that, you know... I used to I used to follow the MBWA managed by walking around and and my industry is manufacturing so you know when you walk around and you have these interactions I would gain more in a 10 minute walk than I would in a 2 hour meeting mm-hmm. about what the culture's doing how are people feeling where are we going is the communication that we're delivering landing I would get all that stuff through those those interactions and now i don't have that i i've had to modify how i get that data and that data is inevitably filtered through a screen and the people who are delivering it so what what 
solutions do you have for for some of those interactions that were previously accidental and and, and converting those into an intentional process that still gives the real information that somebody in leadership needs to know yeah so this isn't applicable for it it is applicable for all companies but it's not necessarily applicable for all people what i'm about to say now but documentation is such a critical part of running a remote business if it's not documented how do i know what it is and if it's not documented how do i actually even know it happened if i wasn't there and i wasn't there because i wasn't even in your bedroom which is where you were doing it from so so documentation is one element where I'm seeing companies like GitLab, they document everything. Uh, you know, their, their company manual is 8,000 pages. And, <laughs> wow. and, it's, and it's available online for you to go and read right now. And I, you know, I'd recommend everybody go and have a look at it. It's a thing of beauty. It's a real thing of beauty. And GitLab's manual is designed so that not a single one of those pages is redundant. They are all live working pages. And somebody reads that page every day. They've got 1,300 employees, and they've been doing this for 10 years. So they've got a head start on most of us. But if, you, if, you doc, if, if, if you're even in a manufacturing situation, what used to happen probably is, would be my guess is the team, on the, the team working with the machines would communicate to their leadership, and that would get passed up and passed up, and then you'd find out about what happened. And then what you would do is go and do the walk around on the on, on the on the floor and you'd you'd connect the dots and the missing pieces of the information that got filtered through or were not communicated effectively. Now, if you go and say, look, I'm not expecting you to write Shakespeare here, but I want you to document what happens in that situation or document. Give me seven bullet points and you give them a, a really easy structure to follow. Then you can read those documents at the end of the day. And you can ping that person and go, just tell me what happened there. And that's that. That's like you being on the shop floor again. It's like you being, <clears throat> it's, it's that walking around management technique. Mm -hmm. That you're not walking, you're actually in their bedroom with them or you're in their office with them. Because you are just following up to see, okay, that machine wasn't operating at optimum. What did we do? How did we do it? And that's, that's the, so a documentation is so critical. And I, re I, I recommend to my clients that you create just on a very basic level, use a Google Doc and just say, this is the stuff that happened today and put it down. And then you as the leader can look at, the, look at all those docs and go, ah, okay, I can see where this may have a negative impact on the rest of how we are doing things. And I may have to slow, slow that department down a little bit to make sure we're, we're in sync. So that's really for me, you know, documentation. It's not easy. Because especially in the case of manufacturing, I'm sure that there are there are um, men and women on the floor that didn't think they'd have to write again or didn't even want to write again, frankly. Um, but doing this on a really basic level is is critical. Yeah, yeah, that it does sound hard. <laughs> yes, I hear, that. but I but I I I agree 100%. If you don't have the data, if you don't if you don't have any sort of that information. Um, you, you know, how do you know what's going on besides a, a base assumption on your part? Yeah, there's a, there's a, if you, if you think about it like this, um, your people will need as much visibility into their colleagues' work as they would have previously had in an office where they could meet up, listen in, chat over lunch, have a beer, bump into one another. The only way to achieve that in this sort of hybrid or remote environment is through documentation. 
and you know what you know good documentation it enables like, stronger more informed more trusting and more connected team and actually what i'm what i'm advising my my clients to do is to have what i i say the walking on the moon conversation we were, we were living on earth and we are running around in our jeans and our trainers and our jackets and you know breathing normally eating normally gravity was doing its thing I want you to imagine that the Earth was obliterated, but we managed to escape to the moon. We're now on the moon. Gravity is different. What we wear is different. How we can't walk or run, we bounce now. Um, you know, it's, it's a completely different environment we're in. We're not going back to the Earth. We, it's, it's not going back. So what you have to realize is we may have some Earth-like experiences again, but we're in a new environment now. And I, I advise some companies to actually go and mourn the passing of pre-COVID, of the pre-COVID world. So you can get over it. You know, it's dead. Move on. Get mm. through the grief stages so that you can understand where you are as a business. Because half of your people are waiting for it to go back to, to, to business as usual. Are hoping it's going to go back to business as usual. And it's your responsibility as a leader to go, uh-uh. It's never going back to business as usual. Mm. Yeah, I, I, that's a fascinating analogy. And I, I, I think about, you know, you, you mentioned grief. And in reflecting on this year, um, yeah, I think the Kubler-Ross model could, could be, you could map that out. I'm just thinking through, okay, so it was, let's see, February denial <laughs> and then you could keep walking through yeah, and at yeah, some point yeah. i think i think it was probably this summer i think i finally personally hit acceptance like it's we just got to get on with it because <laughs> you know what it yes this is just another thing in the workflow of something that we have to work through mm -hmm. uh and 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 learn to uh, you know better ourselves from this scenario and and um but I still, I still face that resistance internally within my organization. I think there's a lot of my employees and employees at other companies that are – they're still clinging to the hope that it's it, – let's just go back to the way it used to be. Um, so do you think that, that that's, that's a fallacy that we should all just we, – we all need to accept that the world is different from here on out? So the world is different from here on out because um, – People have realized that, so, so the, okay, the people working in, in, in the factory have not experienced this to the same degree. But the people, the more flexible people have realized that actually there's more to life than spending 45 minutes in a car into going into work and 45 minutes in a car going out to, uh, you know, there's, it's an hour and a half of my life just gone. There's more to life than this. And I've got a client, a software client, and they're 100 people and they've got 60 engineers. And engineers are quite used to flexibility. Um, but he, he, prior to COVID, he insisted on everybody coming into the office. And the engineers sent him a letter saying that we, they, they would be prepared to work somewhat hybrid, but at least half of them would never go into the office again. And if they didn't like it, they can replace it. Mm. <laughs> 
and that's that's the new reality. And yes, we might be able to find people who are prepared to work in a way that is come into the office. But for you to hire the best people, for you to hire the people you want and you need to take your business to the next level, you are going to have to build hybrid flexibility into your business. Because the best people will be able to choose how they work and when they work because that's what they want to do. They want to live their lives as they want to live their lives. And this is what COVID has done. Yes, it's been restrictive and yes, it's been anxious and yes, it's being very stressful, but it's giving people insight into a different world. That, you know, I, I, I was reading an article and I, I hadn't got I hadn't finished it last night, but reading an article where people are spending half an hour longer in bed with their children just playing in bed in the mornings because the kids come in and they just lie around in bed. And, 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 and the, you know, the, the woman writing it was going, I'm never going back to the office full time right. ever because I'm getting this, I'm getting more. Right. I think that's fascinating. And, you know, I'm sure a number of us have probably experienced that employee that, you know, if they've, if they've tried to bring people back and kind of do a reemergence of the, people into the office that there's there's been some individuals with some strong resistance to that uh, and some who have just flat out said uh, you know my family's homeschooling is more important to me than returning to the office um, and you know I'm, there's some of that that that's occurring um, but I think the keyword there for me like personally is flexibility uh, and it's not like I act, I like working in the office I for me it's a it's a really it's an easier break from work and home balance for me to actually pick up all of my things, go to the office, focus on the office work, and then leave the office work at the office and come home and be present with my family. That, for me, that that's easier for me to manage than my laptop's here and I can answer this email 24 hours a day, seven days a week, always on. You know that that becomes a, a struggle for me personally. Uh, but having the flexibility to kind of blend those two lives together is also very, uh, very important for me uh, in my role. So, um, so, so, how does how does that work with with the, you know, an, an individual that maybe misses the office, can't get into the office, but um, but also has that risk of never being able to shut it off. How you know how do you work through kind of that transition for folks that maybe aren't all in on working from home, like the flexibility, want to see people in the office? You know, how do you address those things? Yeah, so right now, that's not really an option um, in most <laughs> right. places, but it, will, but it will be in the not-too-distant future, I hope. And what, what we're doing um, with our clients is, is obviously polling, uh, surveying the team and saying, what do you want? Because I want to know. If you never want to come back to the office again, I want to know. If some of you want to come back into the office, I want to know. And typically what's happening is the younger people want to come back into the office because they're young. They, you know, they, they may be sharing a, a, sharing a house with three other people. It's chaos. It's mayhem. You know, they, or they're alone in an apartment and they need that, that interaction. And then in some cases, the, the, the older, the, you know, the people, I've got two children under three, and the, actually there would be some days that I wouldn't mind going into the office, frankly, just... I'm you with know, you. Just, <laughs> 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 um, but actually, actually, so um, what 
what remote companies do around this is they are very disciplined about that. Some of them, not all of them, are very disciplined about the structure of their day. So, so the structure of the day means that we are deliberate about no no slack, no emails after six o'clock. Mm. None, zero, nothing. Okay, and yes, if you so in my case, for example, I tell I've told my team I will be doing work after nine. But that's because I'm getting four hours during the day to spend with my kids. You know, I'm blocking off time in the morning, lunch, and in the evening. And that's about four hours. So I'm going to make up for that. It's not me working extra. I'm making up for it because I'm not going to be able to be available between 12 and 2 and 8 and 9 and, you know, 5 and 6. And, but, I, but I do not send a single email that, that, uh, that arrives in anybody's inbox after 6 p.m. And I do not send any messages, any type of IM, any type of phone message, any type of WhatsApp or anything after 6 p.m. If I have something that I think about, I write it down in a little book. The next morning, I send it. So the discipline that I as the leader are demonstrating means nobody else is doing that thing. Nobody else is, is, is working after 6 p.m. or demonstrating or talking about working. Some of them might be, but there is respect because what you need to realize is and I'll just give you one example. Decompression is a really important thing. And decompression actually meant you left home, you decompressed, in, in my case, the tube, in your case, maybe a car into the office, and then you worked, and then you took a break, and you maybe had a meeting, and you decompressed on the way to the meeting because you walked and you bumped into somebody, you said, hi, Sam, how are you doing? You had, the, you had some banter at the meeting, you chatted more decompression, then you focused down on the meeting. Then you maybe went back into the office, did some work in the morning, and then you had lunch, decompression. And then you maybe you went back to work, and then you had a meeting, and you got into the car and drove to the meeting, decompression. And then you had these moments of decompression during the day, which allowed you the that, that freshness. We don't have any decompression now because we're staring at this damn digital divide, and it's just one after the other, bang, 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 bang. And that means that our brains are, are doing all of this hard work. To, I'm trying to work out your, what, your, what your body movements are saying, and I can't see your body because my eyes can see. My eyes are going, I can see him, so I can read him. It's human, human <laughs> nature. But actually, I can't read you because I can't see below your shoulders. So, so, so uh, this is where our, our Zoom fatigue comes in, and, and without decompression, we are overstressed by this. So the, good comp the, the companies that are aware of this are building in decompression into the organization. So they're saying no meetings between one and three on Tuesdays, no meetings between um, uh, two and four on Thursdays, focus time on Wednesdays between between 11 and 12. You know, we're going to have a you know banter time. Everybody gets together and shares a story from the weekend if it's a small enough team. But basically, companies, remote companies are, are very good at decompartmentalizing and building structure into the into the, the day for their team. It's not always easy if you've got a big organization, but it can be done. And and you know the, there is a there is there's a some there's some flexibility around it, but if the leadership team demonstrates it and do it, then everybody else follows eventually. Absolutely. Goes right back to being intentional, right? You know, it's one thing to say we care about work life balance. Or we want you to spend time, you know, focused on your family. It's a whole nother thing to say, no emails past six. <laughs> that's, that's, that's putting the action behind 
the the words right and so yeah well said i think that's great i'm i'm taking notes here on on things that i need to propose to my ceo right now <laughs> you can you can give him a copy i i've actually my uh, i published my new book um fairly recently own your culture and that's actually a, a tactical breakdown of how to build your culture of like how to define your values mission vision how to embed it how to deal with uh, brilliant jerks or bad hires um how to do onboarding probation and i've and i've interviewed over 50 companies where i actually use the examples of what they do to onboard or the examples of what they to fire or how they hire as, as which you can literally take it read it and and apply it to your company it's a very tactical book yeah that's that's great and i think um you know we're all looking for answers right now um if we can if we can look at case studies and and research you know what have people already done what has worked what hasn't worked um you know what a great great opportunity for us to to think a little bit differently about how we structure the things that we uh we did before the pandemic and and after the pandemic um so uh, we'll have a link to uh, we'll have a link to uh, that in the show notes and so if, if people want to find that that book they can they can locate that but cool. um yeah i'll be i'll check that out for sure i, I <laughs> forward to that so um yeah so i want to talk about that a little bit so you know one of the things that that i thought was so interesting about your background is the um the the just the number of interviews uh, that you you've interviewed hundreds of founders and CEOs about about culture. So give me a you know give me a high level overview of of what were some of the the things that maybe surprised you uh, af- after going through all of these these conversations with these leaders. So the thing that surprised me the most was how few companies have have actually done anything about their culture. So I I, I put a call out to my network and I said. I'm looking to interview CEOs with strong cultures um, for my next book. And so I'd be saying, go and talk to Jamie. Um, Jamie's doing a great job. He's got a great culture. And so I you know, dropped Jamie a line and we'd set up a meeting. And I, I, I had a, a very structured interview, um, interview process, which allowed me to get deep into the layers of the onion. And what I mean by that is that sort of layer one is the mission and the vision of the company. Layer two are the values. Layer three are, are, are what do the values mean to your business and how you how do you communicate that? Layer four is how do you embed those values? Layer five is what are you doing on a functional and process level to ensure that those values are actually actionable without being deliberate. In other words, they become a habit in your organization. And so I'd start this, this sort of these layers and most people who I was, who I was interviewed, uh, introduced to, it would stop at layer two. So they defined their values, but they weren't doing anything about it. And so their company culture was happening by default. Yes, they may be doing a little bit of, you know, employee recognition around it and, you know, employee of the month, but that's where it ended. So as soon as I started asking more detail about it, I would like, uh, no, 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 sorry, I can't help you there. This is, you know, I got some good stuff, but it wasn't really a, a deeper conversation. So I actually had to speak to 500 companies to get just over 50 amazing interviews. Mm. So wow. one, out of, one out of 10 companies wow. has done a good job or an okay job of defining and embedding their culture. Wow. 
So that's the first thing that really stood out for me. You know, it's, it, it, you say that, and um, it sounds shocking, but then I reflect on that. It's, it's not really surprising, at least for my seat sitting in HR, <laughs> that there's so a lot of this is accidental, right? It's, it's uh, you know, we are who we are by accident. Or, you know, we had, um, I, I had one of my favorite leaders of all time, um, and he shall remain nameless, but uh, he, he made a comment at one point. And we were looking at organizational restructuring and trying to think about who's the right person to help lead this. And, um, and about six months into the process, he looked at me and he goes, well, our accidental strategy's working. <laughs> and, it, and it was so, and it was just a, it was a moment of, of of levity but it was so true it was like you know we, we were flying by the seat of our pants and we were like gee i hope this works <laughs> and, and and yeah it's i believe it <laughs> oh that's that's great so um you know i i think that uh i think that one of the things that is is really fascinating about just the study of culture is the fact that it's so hard to change so did you have any examples of, of successful culture change in a positive way uh, that was reflective in some of the actions of these leaders? So, so Bernard, Bernard Niesner runs a company called Busu, which is a, um, a language learning business, and, and um, moved from Spain to London and got to London, raised a pretty big funding round and hired a team. And what he'd done is typical. He, 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 he sat down with the team and they came up with nice sounding mission and vision and values. And then that was like a tick box exercise and didn't do much terribly much more with them. But actually the business went through a real dip and for various reasons. And actually most of the people he'd recently hired just left. They, they literally, it was like rats off the ship. Zip, 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 zip. They were gone. And he realized that actually this was a, he, he, pulled the company through this dip and, and, you know, it survived and is now flying. It's a very successful business now. But this actually was his learning. And so what he, what he did is he went back to those values and mission and vision and reworked them and then really decided, I'm only going to hire people who fit the values and worked out how to make sure that the values fit was clear to him. And sometimes he admits in the interview I did with him, sometimes I still make, we still make mistakes and a couple of people slip through. But the culture we've developed is so strong that the culture actually spits those people out. Those people leave before they get too entrenched because they can't become entrenched in the strong culture we've developed. And so his learning of um, being somewhat tick box exercise about the, about the values and, and, and turning it around and really being deliberate about it is, is the first one. There's another one by um, Nicolas Desange, um, who, is the C, who was the CEO of Algolia, and they just brought in a new CEO. And Algolia is a, a very big um, search and uh, enterprise search engine company. I think they're going to be at 500, 600 people now. And um, they, um, they were very transparent. Everything was transparent until they started. Uh, you, you knew everything. You knew salaries. You knew everything. And until they moved, they started expanding internationally. And then all of a sudden, he had to transition that because, first of all, it was against the law in some companies to be transparent, to some countries to be transparent right. around salary. And right. secondly, the U.S. people they were hiring were earning double what 
the French people were earning because that's just the way it works. You know, San Francisco is really expensive. And so, so there, there he had to go through. And he said to me, luckily, I developed, we developed a lot of goodwill in the transparent days. But we actually had to go through a change to being less transparent. And we overcame that by, by allowing people to see certain things that, that it was obviously all, you know, it was all uh, legally around. But they, would, they, they allowed, they gave people access to documentation that wasn't really that easy you wouldn't get it very easily typically and they created a dashboard for people to get other uh, the other details details they needed around transparency but they stopped transparency on in certain areas of the business and that was a, a very interesting example for him of a, a difficult time because people felt uncomfortable that this was changing but as well, well, well done transformation because they over they overcame it and they built the goodwill to 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 overcome it. Absolutely. Yeah, we. That's a whole other show talking about transparency and privacy <laughs> and all. Oh, that's yeah. That we could do a we could do a series on that. Uh, but um, yeah, fascinating uh, approach. All right. Well, we are we are closing in on time, and and I want to make sure that we get through the uh, Rebel HR flash round. So uh, here we go. Question number one, what are you reading right now? I'm reading a, a book called Switch. Um, and I can't remember who the author is, but it's a it's actually literally is about company transformation. Um, one of my one of my clients uh, has read it and suggested I read it. And if a client suggests I read a book, then I do it. And actually, I'm really enjoying it because it's it's a very it's a very simplified way to look at transformation. Um, uh, they, they, um, there's a, there, there's a, they use a, a, a little um, uh, phrase, true but useless. What you said is true, but useless to us in this organization. <laughs> so don't say it. <laughs> I really like that. And there, there's I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's true, but useless. So thank you very much. I, we accept your truth, but it's useless. Yeah? So let's work out what's really relevant. So there's little little acronyms and things that they use that are really smart. I, I like that. I love that. I love that. And yeah, I can think of a number of those. Yeah. Uh, my wife tells me that a lot too, but that's another. <laughs> that's also another podcast. <laughs> I think that's another whole podcast. That's not just yeah, one series. Yeah, that's, that's a total, that's a whole, that's a new start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Question number two, who should we be listening to? So um, there, there are two guys um, who run a podcast in the UK, um, and the podcast is called Secret Leaders. Um, and it's um, the, 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 ho the, 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 the charismatic host is a guy named Dan Murray. And um, he's interviewed many, many interesting leaders, and he's just got a, a way about him to get leaders to relax and to maybe give a little bit more than they would typically on a podcast. So the podcast is called Secret Leaders. I really like it. Um, I, 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 I listen to it religiously, um, and they touch on the culture stuff. They touch on difficult experiences of leaders. So, yeah, I recommend that. All right. Secret Leaders. I'm going to check that out. All right. Last question here. How can our listeners connect with you? So uh, they can they can ping me via the website. I am on uh, it's www.culturegene.ai, which is 
culturegene.ai. I'm on LinkedIn, Brett and Putter, and I'm on Twitter, Brett and Putter, my, um, my, my Twitter and LinkedIn. If your listeners want to uh, ping me directly, I'm at brett at culturegene.ai. I'm a student of culture. It's my passion. It's um, I'm going to do it until I die, and I just want to learn all, all day, every day, and it's pretty much apart from my family and friends and children all I think about. So um, if you want to talk to me about culture, more than happy to. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Love it. Well, it's been a, a, a fascinating show. I think some some absolutely uh, wonderful uh, things that, that all of us in HR can think about and reflect on uh, and uh, and a lot of, of great, uh, great information as well in, in your book. So strongly encourage our listeners to connect with uh, Brett and Putter. We'll have all of that in the show notes as well. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for the time today. It's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, really appreciate it. Carl, my pleasure. It's been um, an awesome and very enjoyable podcast. It's it's great to speak to somebody who is is as comfortable and uh, you're, you're listening to understand and 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 ex- explore versus listening to ask the next question. <laughs> but you get you get podcast you get you get hosts yeah. like that, and so it's so it's it's a really it's a pleasure to to. You know, interact with you. I, you, you and I could do this for another three hours. People would I know, I, get bored, but yeah. <laughs> you know that's that is the truth of this podcast. And and you know, honestly, um, you know, I'm just curious. I just like to learn. And the 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 caliber of guests we, that we've had on, and the amount of learning uh, that that has just occurred for me personally, it's, it's very much appreciated. So I really sincere sincerely appreciate your uh, your expertise and helping us think maybe a little bit differently about how we manage the immediate future, but then how we actually set ourselves up to win long-term. So uh, really great stuff. Thank you so much, Brett. My pleasure, Carl. Have a great day. Stay safe. You too. Thanks. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we recommend. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.